This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, if you're a woman in your childbearing years, you're familiar with your regular monthly menstrual bleeding. But when do you know if this is abnormal or a sign of something of concern? Well, here with some answers is Dr. Howard Weinstein, professor of obstetrics and gynecology and the division chair of OBGYN at Upstate's community campus. Welcome, Dr. Weinstein. Thanks for coming in. Let's begin by defining what we mean when we say abnormal uterine bleeding. What is that? Well, generally, you have to define normal. And, of course, there is no basic normal. Everyone is different. Um, I have people who come into the office and say, I'm hemorrhaging, and you examine them, it's barely any bleeding. Then you get another woman who comes into the office and says, I'm having my normal period, it's no big deal, and she's bleeding all over the place. And that's the big problem in defining normalcy. So it's a very individualized situation that you're trying to define. Abnormal would be abnormal duration, abnormal quantity, or an abnormal schedule of bleeding. So generally, we have some criteria for normal. Uh, Basically, every 21 to 35 days would be a normal menstrual cycle. Most of us have expanded that from 21 to 42 days because there's always going to be some irregularity. They're generally regular. They come at a regular interval, and they're regular for the patient. Now, every patient is different. Generally, the period will last for three to seven days. The bleeding quantity is the hardest thing to to measure. Basically, from a clinical point of view, we say it's from 5 to 80 cc's of blood during the entire course of the period. Generally, that means they're changing a pad or a tampon. Maybe three times a day would be about normal. And then the duration is greater than or equal to five, five days, but clearly doesn't exceed that by very much. What is the difference between when we call abnormal uterine bleeding from abnormal vaginal bleeding? Basically, yeah, basically it's the same. We just have to define it a little better, and that usually comes after you get your history and after you do your examination. Then you can define where the bleeding is coming from. So Generally, it's considered abnormal vaginal or uterine bleeding until you define it and narrow it down a little. In terms of its origin and what is actually the causation. Correct. So getting to cause, do we know what causes this? Well, in 2011, the International Federation of Obstetrics and Gynecology came up with an acronym for defining what causes abnormal bleeding. And they have this mnemonic called palm coin. So the P would be a polyp. A would be a disease called adenomyosis, which is when endometrial tissue from inside the uterus gets into the wall of the uterus, and the uterus just stops working well. L would be leiomyoma, or fibroids. M would be a malignancy. Then the coin part, which is spelled differently, it's C-O-I-E-N. Don't ask me why. (laughs) I have no idea. But C would be coagulation disorders. O would be disorders of ovulation. I would be iatrogenic. That means generally you've been treated for something, and it's the treatment that's causing the irregular problem or the bleeding. Uh, E would be everything else, and the uh, N would be no obvious cause. 
So you, you look at that and you try and judge where this person fits in. But that all goes with how you're going to evaluate them. We're going to get to that in a minute because sure. I want to talk more specifically. But when does this generally occur in the lives of, of, of a woman? Commonly early in the menstrual years. And like the teen years, for example? Teen or early 20s and then later in the um, reproductive age life. Like generally, perimenopausal? Yeah, generally 40-something to 50, early 50s. And that's when you get this kind of irregular bleeding. Are there specific, besides your age, which you've just alluded to, are there other risk factors that make you more prone to this kind of problem? Well, obesity, hypertension, uh, diabetes, many other diseases that can feed into this. So, so when should you think to call your doctor? I mean, it sounds to me as a layperson listening to you, that if something very out of your normal experience occurs, that might be the trigger. But tell us I, I agree. And, but the, the difference is women are very regimented. They know when they're going to get their period pretty well. Even if they're not taking birth control pills, just on a normal, regular cycle, they know when they're going to get their period. They know how long it's going to last. They know how many tampons or pads they're going to use. They're very, very specific. We've had people who come in one month of irregularity in duration and timing and so on, and they have to be seen because they are so specific in their normal, quote, normal cycle. I would say if it goes on for three months that you're out of sync with what your norm is, that's the time to consult your physician. So how do you go about diagnosing the problem once the patient comes to you? Well, first you get the history. This is classic medical evaluation. First you get a history. You want to know what medications they're taking. You want to know when it occurs. Try and get them to gauge how heavy it is or how irregular it is. So you always ask, when was your last menstrual period? In the reproductive age group, you've always got to be careful about pregnancy. You never take that for granted, that they can't be pregnant because of X, Y, or Z. Always use that as a guide for the reproductive age group. People who've had tubal ligation or on permanent sterilization of some sort, you have to worry less, but there's always a little bit of a worry no matter what. So you've eliminated pregnancy, you've gotten their history, and then you do your physical exam, which is equally as important as any test you can possibly do. And what you're looking for, you know, you do your regular physical exam, you look inside the vagina, looking at the vagina and see that where the bleeding is coming from. You look at the cervix. Occasionally, it's that pee, the polyp that you see. I mean, it could be a polyp inside the uterus, but generally speaking, if you have this kind of crazy bleeding, it can be a polyp on the cervix, which is any age group is entirely possible. Then you do your physical exam and you manually feel what's going on. And that's one way of diagnosing uh, fibroids, lyomyoma, or adenomyosis, which is a very difficult disease to diagnose and very difficult to deal with. Then you can move on to some testing. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with obstetrician-gynecologist Dr. Howard Weinstein. We're talking about abnormal uterine bleeding. So 
you started saying, then you go on to testing. So what types of tests do you well, do? Well, first test is the same. Of course, you've done a pregnancy test in the reproductive age group because you can't be too secure that they're not pregnant. Then you do a blood count. You want to see how much bleeding they're really doing. Is this person anemic? And it's the same kind of thing you get in a history. If a patient comes to you because their doctor, their family doctor or their internist sent them to you because they're anemic, that might be a good reason why they're anemic if they're bleeding that heavily. Um, you want to do a blood count, and then you want to do some technical studies of ultrasound. Ultrasound is your, your best study unit. They do a transvaginal pelvic ultrasound where they try to actually see what's going on in, Correct. in you, the uterus. Correct. You look inside the uterus with this sonogram, which is not painful and not a problem. You can do it abdominally, but it's not as accurate as a transvaginal ultrasound. Certainly, if the fi if person has fibroids and they're very big, you have to do an abdominal sonogram because the, the sound waves from a vaginal sonogram won't get that high. How about an endometrial biopsy? At what point do you make a decision that you have to actually take tissue? I think it depends on the situation. I think you do a sonogram. You see what the cavity of the uterus looks like. You see what the whole body of the uterus looks like. I'm not a big endometrial biopsy fan. It's very uncomfortable, and it doesn't give you all that much information. What I will do, if the endometrium is thickened in a young person, it can be up to, and you measure it up and down the line, longitudinal measurement, and you're measuring the thickness of the cavity of the uterus. And depend on where in the cycle they are, if, if they're reproductive age. And it should be, oh, up to a centimeter in thickness in a young person who's menstruating. You can do something called a sonohysterogram, which is, generally speaking, the next best step. You have this thickened endometrium that you're dealing with. And what you do is you put a very fine catheter into the uterus, and you inject sterile saline. It's a little bit crampy, but nothing horrible. A little bit of Motrin before the exam is, goes a long, long way. And then you inject the sterile saline, and you watch it with a transvaginal sonogram. And what that does is it inflates the endometrial cavity. And you can see, is there a polyp in there? Is there a fibroid in the cavity? You know, it's location, location, location. You could have fibroids up to the top of your abdomen and have no problem with them. And then you can have one fibroid in the cavity of the uterus, and that's causing all the aggravation that people come in with. So what exactly are you, I mean, what's the most concerning thing that you're looking for? I mean, you mentioned in, in the potential diagnoses that cancer could be one of them. Is, is that one of the biggest things you're looking for Always. at that point? If there's a very thickened endometrium and the patient might be a candidate for a cancer of the uterus, such as a lady in the menopause who's bleeding. Now, postmenopausal bleeding is a whole different story. That has to be worked up a lot more completely than just a person is 22 years old and bleeding irregularly. Uh, I think there are reasons for doing endometrial biopsies late in a person's reproductive life or if they have other confounding factors such as obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and they're bleeding irregularly. Or they skip 
four or five periods, then all of a sudden come in bleeding very heavily, then it's worthwhile to even consider an endometrial biopsy. The, the problem with endometrial biopsy is the instrument we use is about two millimeters in thickness. It's on a little suction device so you can take one strip of tissue. But you got to remember that's one strip of tissue from one part of a 360 degree uterus. So you can do a lovely biopsy and, and still get miss a it. that's right. You get a small abnormality, but you could be missing something much more serious. I want to get to treatment. I don't want to run out of time. So what do you do to treat this? Well, it depends on where in the reproductive life they are. So that's a critical factor in Extremely terms of Extremely critical. And why? Explain well, why. Well, because it's easy. Most of the early bleeders, young people, will respond very well to hormonal therapy. Hormonal therapy being oral contraceptives or one of the long-acting contraceptives like Depo-Provera or implants or IUDs. The, and that the, somehow regulates the bleeding. It, it will stop it, basically. You can use birth control pills continually for six months up to a year, and you won't have any bleeding at all. And but then, if you're past the years of wanting to have children... Then you, you have do? to be very careful. If it's something that's safe and there's no cancer or pre-cancer, you can take the patient to the operating room. You can do a DNC, which is scraping out the tissue inside the cavity. You can look inside the uterus without scar, hysteroscopy, and then you can do what we call an endometrial ablation, which is basically a burning and destroying of the inside cavity of the uterus that creates scar tissue and then will either limit the bleeding or make the bleeding go away completely. But there are, the point right now, the bottom line takeaway is that there are many ways to treat this issue. You just need to find out what's causing it and you have the consideration of whether you want to continue to bear children. Right, and the forward. age group too. I mean, the older people, you're not going to do an endometrial ablation. They may need a hysterectomy, which is the ultimate last thing you want to do, certainly not in a young person. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing this. It's a concern, I'm sure, for many, many women out there. So thanks for sharing all this great information. My guest has been Dr. Howard Weinstein, professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate Medical University and the division chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate's community campus. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs>